I got some good news to start out with. Uh, it seems that Oklahoma won last night. Is that good news? Yeah. And the good news is the pressure's off the chaplain, too. Yeah. Um, good news is a wonderful thing, and I've watched in America, people like to get good news, don't they? And how we communicate that is important. Um, in fact, uh, Wade and his wife were trying to communicate the good news recently. I was driving out west on a road, and I saw their sign. They had a sign, big sign. This is a made-up story. Don't be too it. <laughs> the big sign. And it said, uh, the end is near. Turn around before it's too late. And some people went by and they said, there's the pastor and his wife, crazy people. And they're just trying to give good news. And they, they listened as the car drove by and there was a screech of tires and suddenly there was a splash. And Wade looked at his wife and said, you know, maybe we ought to tell him, just tell him the bridge is out. That might be better. <laughs> I did make it up. What do you expect, okay? <laughs> but the good news, they had good news for people. It's how you communicate sometimes. Or some people aren't ready for good news. And some people cannot wait for certain things, and that good news is too important to them, and they miss some of the good news that we have as Christians. Now, the best news we have as Christians is that Christ died for us on the cross, and he's ours if we want him. Eternal life. That's fantastic news. But sometimes in America, as I go back and forth to other countries, I recognize that we get caught up in other good news sometimes and forget about the perspective of our good news in Christ. For example, I'm in Cleveland now. My wife and I have moved to Cleveland. And when we moved to Cleveland, LeBron James decided to come with us to Cleveland. And really good news in Cleveland. I mean, everybody was so excited. And um, in fact, at all the bars in Cleveland, happy hour was free. You know what? Not that I went to happy hour, but it was free. But in the restaurant, you could go to a restaurant and it was free desserts and billboards, and they had just taken him down a couple years ago when it was not good news that he went to Miami, where it was good news for the people in Miami. And they tore all these billboards down, and in one day, they were all back up again. And some of the words that I saw were really interesting. In Sports Illustrated, it said, the chosen one returns. Now, where did they get that? Now, I love LeBron James' game. I just love to watch him play. I think he's the best player in the world. But he's not the chosen one to me. Sports Illustrated has used that term on him nine times in the last three years or four years. You know what? I found out that he's not the only athlete they've used that on. There's been a lot of other ones like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. They've been called the chosen one. Well, as athletes, especially FCA athletes, we know that that's not true. There's a perspective that we have that is different than the worldly perspective. But if the world perspective is not challenged by the truth in any way, what do they have to have a perspective of? To them, that might be the most important thing. And so their life goes up and down with the, the stories of maybe famous athletes. As athletes, Christian athletes, we realize who the chosen was. And the really good news is that he's coming back. And so in, in Cleveland, I've tried to remind the people, sometimes with good favor, sometimes with not, that if you're that excited about LeBron James coming back, good, but you should be even more excited that Jesus is coming back, shouldn't we? And we can't forget that. Yeah, you're very excited that Oklahoma won. We should be that much more excited about our faith in Christ because that's where our passion should be as well. There's a balance, isn't there? I, uh, in the scripture, there's a great story. If you want to follow me in your Bibles, you can. It's in 2 Kings chapter 7. If you have your telephones or whatever, you want to follow it on there, please feel free to. 
2 Kings, there's a desperate situation. Um, the Assyrians have decided to attack Samaria. And so it says in Scripture, they went down and laid, lead, laid siege to Samaria. And when you laid siege to a country in that time or city, you would go down and camp all around it because they wouldn't let you in the walls and it cost too many men to get in. So they would just wait for you to come out. Well, they don't want to come out, so they would wait. The problem is in waiting, they lost food, water started to become scarce. It became very desperate. Now listen how desperate it was in this time. This is, even though this is thousands of years ago, I think you're going to be able to relate to some of this eventually. As they besieged the, uh, the city of Samaria until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels and a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels. I'm not going to go any farther than that. You can already understand that's pretty gross, isn't it? Not only that they were eating those things, but they were paying a lot of money for those things. That's how desperate they are at this time in this story. And then it says, the king was so upset because it says in uh, verse 28, 9, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today. You have to be kidding me. So that we can, so that we, they boiled his son and ate him. And the next day she said, give me your son that we may eat him. But she hid her son. And when the king heard this, he ripped his clothes in sadness. You say, that is really desperate, isn't it? And a lot of people say, well, that was biblical times way back when, and those things happened. I'm here to tell you, I still see it happening in the countries I go to around the world. Do you know in Iraq, when they went up into the, the hill country recently to run from ISIL, that they were so desperate up there, and they were so hungry and so thirsty that women were cutting themselves to give the blood of their own blood to their children so they could survive. It's gross, isn't it? I'm going to get better. That's the bad news. What I want you to know is we're having these struggles in our world today. Maybe not in Norman, Oklahoma. But if you look far enough, you will see it happening around the world today. The Ebola in Africa, it's up to 2,000 lives now. They can't seem to stop it. People dying of that, that awful disease. There's kids coming across our border in the south. Really not too far from here. How desperate are you that you would take your young children and put them on a train with no authority or nobody to watch over and send them to another country in hope of a better life? That's desperation and that's hopelessness. The wonderful thing is we have a good news that no matter what the desperate situation is, we always have a hope in Christ. And here's what happened. Now, here's the stars of my sermon today. I call them the logic lepers or the lepers with logic. It says in, uh, there were four lepers. This is chapter 7, verse 3. There were four lepers who were at the entrance of the gate in front of Samaria. And they said to each other, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we're also going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live and they kill us, well, we're going to die anyway. Now, that's some simple logic, isn't it? I've met a lot of lepers in my life, and I've learned that for them, life is a little bit simpler, not so complicated. Here's what happened. Um, so they arose at twilight, and they went to the camp of the Syrians. Now, remember, everybody's starving in Samaria, but the camp outside, the Syrians, they have everything they want, food, horses, meat, 
gold, silver, wine, everything. So they go over to them. And when they came to the edge of the camp, the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired us against the king of Hittites and the king of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and they abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they left, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into every tent, and they ate, and they drank, and they carried off silver and gold. Imagine if you're these four lepers. Just put yourself in these four lepers. They're outcasts. Nobody will touch them. Nobody will give them anything. They walk into the camp, and they win the American lottery. I mean, it's all there just before them. So can you imagine their joy? And they're going, this is, this is happening to us. And the first thing they thought of is, good for us. So they start drinking, and they're hiding stuff in their clothes, and they're burying it. Then they're running back and getting some more. And amongst this process, this is the point I want you to look at. This is the point of the day. And for us as athletes and Christians who love the Lord, here's what the lepers felt in verse 8. They said to one another, we, have not, we are not doing right. This is a day of, this is a day, excuse me, this day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning, punishment will overtake us. Therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. They couldn't stand having all that good news and keep it to themselves. I like the girls getting up. Thanks, Michaela, Mackenzie, the girls reading scripture. Neela, thanks for your song. But most of all, I like your commitment to the Lord. It's good news. They, they, they feel so strong about their faith, they want to share it with you. I don't wish only athletes could do that. I want everybody to do that. Everybody to have the good news and realize how valuable it is so much that I have to share this. I can't just keep this to myself. I have to share it with other people. The problem now is, two in America. One is, there's not, we don't think it's desperate enough. We're not starving in the city, are we? But I want to tell you, if people do not know Christ in America, they are just as desperate as the people with Ebola in Africa or in the mountains of Sinja in Iraq or in Somalia, in the places where Christians are being killed, anybody's being killed. What is desperation? To me, desperation is not knowing the Savior. And so this news is so good to me. Even in America, I want to share it because I'm thinking, yes, everybody's doing pretty good in America. But what about spiritually? Here's the second problem in America that I see, is that America does not want you to tell them in America about it now. There's a new resistance to the gospel in America, isn't there? Keep it in your church on Sunday. Uh, it's not, we don't want it in the schools. Uh, we don't even want it in the colleges and universities. Wonderful that we have an FCA ministry at Oklahoma, and it's thriving. Good for you. Because what I see happening is, and they're telling me the same, I used to go into all the high schools 25 years ago and share the gospel in this country. I haven't been to one in two years. The invitations aren't there anymore. What's happening is our culture is saying no to sharing Christ. But our Christian faith is saying we have this great news and we have to share it. Do you see where there's going to be a conflict? My idea is that we have to keep trying to share the good news. One of the ways we do it is through sports because everyone loves sports. And when you see someone who loves sports gets up and say, yes, but I love this more. 
That's sharing the good news in a powerful way. But for us personally, wherever we're at, we should have an opportunity. Uh, when I was playing basketball professionally overseas, I played in Taiwan, and we got to have dinner with the president of Taiwan. And he told me, Tom, you go around and visit all of our people. I said, it's okay if I share whatever I want. He said, share whatever you want. I didn't specifically share, say I was going to share Christ, but that was my plan, so I did. And one day he arranged for me to go to a leper colony. I went to a leper colony, never been to a leper colony. Grew up in inner city Detroit, thought I'd seen a lot of horrific things. But I went to the leper colony, and there were about 267 lepers. No, there were 267 lepers in front of me. And I was looking at them, and I was scared to death. I put my hands in my pockets because I didn't want to touch anybody. One of the things lepers are used to, nobody touches them. They're untouchable. And so afterwards, they kept smiling the whole time. And I thought, what are these people smiling about? Because I come from America. I have Jesus. That's wonderful. But they have leprosy, and they're smiling. Afterwards, they said, uh, Mr. Tom, we want you to meet the most famous leper here. I said, oh, I love to meet famous people. Who is he? They said his name is Mr. Tsai. So I said, hello, Mr. Tsai. He was about this tall because he was Chinese and short and he didn't have any feet. He didn't have any hands, no nose, no ears. Excuse me. No nose, no ears, no hair. 27 years he'd been in the leper colony, so he was deteriorating and he was at the end of, near the end of his life. So the first thing I did was I said ni hao ma in Chinese. And I stuck my hand out, because in America we just shake hands with people. What was I thinking about? The guy didn't have any hands. But it didn't bother him. He dropped the saklai, the crutches from underneath his armpits, and he reached out and grabbed me with the nubs of his arms, what was left. And man, he had a vice grip. I couldn't get my hand. First of all, I was thinking, oh, now I got it. My first selfish thought, you know. <laughs> then I thought, give me my hand back, you know. But he wouldn't do it. You know, sometimes in sports when you sign an autograph, you shake people's hands. They don't want to let go. And you can't just go like that, for goodness sake. So I stood there and talked to him. And he held on and he looked into my eyes. Here's the thing I got from Mr. Tsai. He had this glow in his face that was like somebody turned on a light in his heart and Jesus was coming out his face and his eyes. The joy of the Lord in this guy was amazing. He said, Tom, we love Jesus here. I said, what do you mean we? He said, every one of these lepers in here loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love to share the good news. I said, well, sir, where do you share it? He goes, that's the problem. Lepers aren't allowed to go anywhere, Tom. They're untouchable. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you're touching me right now. <laughs> he said, but you, Tom, you are a professional basketball player. You can go anywhere in the world. When I met this man, I was three months a Christian, brand new Christian. He looked at me and said, I'm going to pray for you every day that you reach people for Christ. And you use sports. And you go to all these places because I'm in here 27 years, Tom, I can't go anywhere. I would love to share the good news. I'm limited to this place. That's where my calling to be a missionary almost 40 years ago came from. A leprous man in a colony in upper Taiwan. Because I saw the joy in his face despite his circumstances. Do you know, I learned that people who love Christ, no matter what their circumstances, are way far better off than people who don't know Christ living in America in great circumstances. How about this? Living in America and knowing Christ. How about those circumstances? That's pretty rich. But do you keep that to yourself? Or do you have the heart to say, I can't just keep this to myself. I need to share this with other people. We as a church and as Christians in America, this is not 
just our responsibility. This is our privilege. And when you run up to a little bit of opposition, don't be discouraged so much about it. Even in this story, when the lepers went back to tell the people in Samaria, the king wouldn't believe it. Even though it was prophesied that it was going to happen, he wouldn't believe it. What did the lepers do? They said, well, this is what we saw. This is what happened. We're full. I wish you could go enjoy it. And it took another day before they finally realized. And they went out and got the good news. They got all that food and stuff. Sometimes people, no matter how good news, how much good news it is, they're not ready for it or they don't want it. That is not your fault. Our joy and privilege is to share that good news as athletes. I love it. I'm not a volleyball player. I'm here to serve the Lord. I just happen to play volleyball. I said that 40 years ago as a uh, basketball player when I came to Christ. Went to another leper colony in the Philippines one time. I said, Karen always tells me, these stories about the lepers, you share them, Tom. They're good. They're good, aren't they? Yeah, pretty good stories. So she said, you share them. I said, well, you need to come and see one of the lepers with me. No, no, no. She said, no, that's not on my bucket list. I think I'll pass on that one. But you know, I got a cool thing. I can talk my wife into anything. Yeah, it has to do with the Lord's work, that is. I could talk it in here. I said, babe, come to the leper colony with me. And I got her to the leper colony in Manila. And one of the lepers, he invited me. He said, Tom, I want you to do your bike show. I do a unicycle entertainment show. My kids and I have done it for years in the Philippines. And so I bought the big unicycle and the little unicycle, and I juggled the balls. And they put them all in this one um, hospital ward. Now, they had five wards, but I could only do one show. So they put all the lepers in one ward, two, three, four in a bed. And they pushed all the beds together to fit everyone up, and they made an aisle up the middle so I could entertain up the middle. So picture yourself in my position. Sometimes sharing the good news is a riot. It's an adventure. So I'm juggling and riding my unicycle down the middle of a, a leper colony with them all in the beds next to me laughing and laughing. You know what I learned from Scripture? Jesus did not only heal the leper. You know what he did first? He touched the leper. He didn't wait. I was thinking, logically, if I was Jesus, I think I'd heal him first, then touch the leper. Doesn't that make sense? But Jesus, no, he didn't need to do that. He touched him first, and they felt, here's somebody who would touch them physically, and then he healed them. So when I went down the aisle, I don't know what I was thinking about, I started touching the lepers. And my wife was going, when she's pulling out these disinfected wipes, you know, not, not now, babe, and, I'm and the lepers think, this is great, so they're reaching out to touch me with whatever they have left to touch you with. And one of the lepers, he was kind of under a sheet, and he didn't have any arms. So I went like this, and everyone laughed. So he kicked his foot up from under the sheet, and when his foot came up, there was no foot, just the stump. And he put the stump in my hand. Now, that's embarrassing. They didn't care. They started to laugh. He shook with his stump, my hand. Those people were so happy. And here's the best part. When I came to the good news, they could not wait to hear it. Because there's desperation. There's a hopelessness in leper places. But when they come to Christ, you see this transformation, even with a leper, because eternal life is so much more valuable than a temporary life here. You get that? Sports life is really short, kids. It's really short. I can't, it's been so long ago since I ran somewhere. You know, and I played professional sport and it's gone. But during that time, you want to use it for the opportunity to share your faith as much as you can because all of it's very brief and fleeting. I, uh, some of you probably know my story a little bit. I'll share it with you. 
But I have 31 children. I have 19 girls and 12 boys. I have about 16 girls, Michaela's age and Mackenzie's age. And they're doing great now. But back in February, um, we were unjustly attacked, targeted, and slandered and accused. And um, what you would call you like FBI or CIA or someone like that, we called it the NBI in the Philippines. It's the most powerful, intelligent group in the Philippines. They came to my house with guns and men, and they took my wife and I out of our apartment in front of all of our kids, and they handcuffed me and arrested me. I didn't know what for. And they took me to jail. Then they took all of my kids, and they arrested them, and they hospitalized people to the hospital in this prison. You just stay. <laughs> so I just hope, pray for healing. This medical prison they put me in. Right across the street. He saw my picture on the, on the television. Because it was uh, him that I'm in, in the cell with. Not very good guys, I got to tell you, but they're sick and dying. Do you think you could help some of them too? He said, sure, if the guards let me. What does scripture say? You came to me when I was sick and you healed me. When I was hungry and you fed me. When I was in prison and you visited me. This stuff works, everybody. You want to spread the good news, just read some of this and do it. Loving your neighbor, it works. And so our jail started to heal some of the other people with his medicine, with his doctoring skills. A number of us got well. And all of a sudden, these guys started to change toward me. And the beating stopped, and the torture, and the different things that go on in there, in our cell block. And I started to realize I could make it in here. I could survive another couple days till they get me out, hopefully. And then... We have a place, you just sit in front of that thing, uh, wherever you lay down, and I'm reading my Bible, and I looked up one day, and I had been giving out Bibles, guys had asked them for them, asked me for them, and there were about 12 guys reading their Bibles in the morning with me. This is in cell block one in NBI prison in Manila. We had 16 in our Bible study. Guys actually started to come to Christ. Why? Because it was Samaria, because it was desperation, because there was hopelessness. And you know, those are the places where the good news is really welcome. The problem in America is we have to convince them that there's hopelessness without Christ. We have all the symptoms of it in America, but sometimes our wealth hides that. There's an illusion that in America it's going to be okay because we have what we need. We can get what we need. But it's an illusion. What we really need is Christ. And so... I'm, I'm laying in my cell. I'm actually getting better. And as I'm getting better, I think I've gotten through all the physical, the beatings and whatever else goes on in prison. Everybody gets it. And I thought, I'm going to survive. And there's one room you don't want to go to. It's down at the end of the hall. And it's down this three-foot-wide cell. And there's a big metal door. And that, and that door is where they take you when the guards discipline you. Now, when the council of inmates discipline you, it hurts. But you can survive it. But when the guards discipline you, I've seen what happens to the other inmates. And they said, Tom, whatever you do, don't go to that room. Don't do anything that makes you go to that room. And I took that seriously. But on the sixth day, the guard said to me, Ramos, Tomas, you're in the room. I said, another Tomas, please. He said, no, you're in the room. I said, boss, I didn't do anything. What did I do? Tomas, you are in the room. Go now or we'll discipline you again. So I headed for the room. And my heart was just beating. I'm heading down to this room, and I see the cell, the door, and I'm thinking, Lord, I got through all this other stuff. Just help me get through this. And I said, just go in there with me. Go in there before me and help me. So they opened the door, and I went into the room. 
And I went in and they closed the door behind me and there was one Filipino man, about five foot seven, 150 pounds. And I thought, surely they don't think this guy is gonna take care of me in here by himself. I mean, I play sports for goodness sake. I think I can handle this one guy. They're gonna have to bring more guys in if they're going to hurt me. And he looked at me and I said, sir, he said, quit, relax, relax time, you're not gonna get beaten. Promise? He said, I promise. And he sat down, he said, sit down. So I sat down, he said, first I want you to know I'm a Christian. I jumped, good news. Man, I leaped into his arm, I gave him a hug. The guy probably thought, what's going on? And I said, man, am I glad to see you. I said, you sure you're a Christian? He said, why, of course. I said, I want to hear you pray. He said, why? I said, because I think I could tell if you're a Christian or not if you pray. So he prayed. You know what? He was a sincere Christian. He said, Tom, I've been sent here by other believers in government, in military, and in the country who know you, love you, and know what you're doing and know what happened to you. You are not going to get touched again. I said, how can you promise that? He says, because I also work in this big agency in another part. And my bosses and people have sent me with my men, and we are around this place, and they know we're around this place, and we told them not to touch you. And do you know from then on, I got some pretty good treatment in that prison. Talk about good news. Seeing that guy, was good, hearing that was good news. Here's what he said, though. He said, Tom, here's what we want you to do. I go, yes. He goes, we're going to take care of you. You keep doing what you're doing. I go, what am I doing? He said, you're sharing the good news. Can't you tell? I said, well, that's what I always do. He said, you keep doing it. Do you know the prison cell block you're in is changing? You keep sharing the good news with your inmates, with the guards, with their families, whoever you can. I said, I can do that. And they said, we will protect you. So I did. It ended up being 22 days. It ended up being a privilege. I didn't know it then. But we had 11 inmates come to Christ. We had people in their families who came to visit, they came to Christ. Two of my guards who worked me over came to Christ. My lawyer, two of my lawyers came to Christ. We had a little, what would you call it in the South, revival? In a prison cell block number one. Do you know all those people enjoyed that the good news was shared? Here's my, here's my learning from that experience. No matter what your circumstance is, Winning or losing on the sporting field, difficult circumstances, it still gives you an opportunity to share Christ wherever you are. The good news can be shared. And so in my cell block, I just kept sharing the good news. It's not that bad of news, son. Take it easy. <laughs> and when I finished, after 22 days, when they let me go out of that place, I couldn't tell you the joy I felt, not only of being free, but also looking back and seeing the impact that God had in that place because the good news was shared. And now I come back to America, and here's my problem. And maybe you can help me with this. I want to tell everybody about Jesus. It's my problem. Because I'm like the four lepers, and you know the church is like the four lepers I told you about earlier. We were lepers, we were outcasts, we were Gentiles, and Jesus came and died for us on the cross and saved us and gave us life, eternal life. And now we're like the lepers where, how can we just keep this to ourselves? We have to share it somehow. We have to figure out how to share the good news to people who only have a worldly perspective. And it needs to be compared to the Word of God somehow. 
and we're going to use sports in FCA, aren't we, kids? Absolutely. We're going to use sports. What are you going to use? Music? It's a good way. Where you work, where you teach, where you go to school. You have an opportunity. Don't keep it to yourself, please. And you know, it's not as bad as you think. I've been here, and I've been playing a lot of golf. That was when my doctor said, been, I've had six surgeries and procedures since I came out of jail. They put me back together again. So I play golf, and I told the Lord, you, if I can talk to someone on a golf course, I will. And so just last week, I had a guy get in a golf course cart with me at a tournament, and he said, I requested that you could play with me. I said, why? He said, I hope you don't mind, but I want to hear about how you survived in prison. I said, well, there's more to it than that. He said, I'd like to hear it. Oh, he asked the wrong guy. <laughs> I want to hear it. When someone says, I want to hear it, you better not shy away and go, oh, you better get in there. And so I told him. And by the 18th hole, he accepted Christ. He's the owner of a big company in Cleveland. He came to Christ. First thing he did at the reception when he won his prize, he said, I won this prize, but I want to tell you what was more important. I won a prize. I, won, I came to know Christ today. And the, everybody was clapping, and there wasn't necessarily all believers in there. We have good news, everybody. And it's powerful. And we cannot keep it to ourselves. Let's pray.